0: So judgment here brought physical, emotional, and relational pain. And we experience that now, physical, emotional, and relational pain. So when people wonder why um, family dynamics are so difficult at times, and why there's a tear in friendships, and why there's physical suffering, and death, and dying, and pain, we can point back to the Bible and say, well, this is because of sin. God has a holy standard, and we see that uh, God's holy standard, his righteousness was violated. There was a command given. There was sin against that command. And because sin entered, now everything you see going on is a result of sin. Right? So we have an answer for that, and the Bible is clear on that. But all these things came as a result of sin. And judgment even cursed the earth itself itself. Right. So Romans says that the earth is groaning. It's groaning for the revelation of the sons of men, Um, tornadoes and tsunamis and these things that ravage the earth. Even the earth is suffering, in a sense, because of sin, not because the earth did anything wrong, but because man sinned against God. And so there's this widespread sin in the cosmos. Rebellion against God brought pain and suffering into human history, and in Genesis 5, Adam's dead, and we are faced with the second refrain, and he died, and he died, and he died. And as death continues to conquer, um, we see sin spreading and men growing in their rebellion against the Lord. But thankfully, the Bible doesn't end there. By the time we come to the end of the Bible, we see that vision of paradise. Revelation 21 1 through 4. Let's turn to Revelation 21. So we start at the end, now we'll go to, or we start at the beginning and now we'll go to the end. Revelation 21, 1 through 4. Who's there? Someone wouldn't mind reading those verses for us. Revelation 21, one through four. Thanks. Did you say <laughs> Selah? No, she wanted to, she was waiting. <laughs> Don't be shy. Then I saw a new woman and she heard it. You. So this is the end of suffering. This is the end of sin, the new heavens, the new earth, but nothing unclean will be in this place. Nothing unclean will enter it, nor anyone who does what is detestable or false, but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life, Revelation 21:27. So we're going to, if you're a believer and have entrusted yourself to Christ, repented of your sin, we're, we're, we're headed somewhere, right? So this isn't the end for us. Not this week, not this month, not this year. You know, we are, we're, we're all longing for or t- 21, 21, or 2021, right? Just get me out of this year. But next year is gonna have different trials, different sufferings, different pains. Because the because Bible is true, there will still be death, there will still be sorrow, there will still be uh, tears in relationships but we're headed somewhere where that will be no more. Right? We're, we're, we're headed to somewhere that will not have any pain, any sin, or anything like that. D.A. Carson pointed out, in thinking on this, that between the beginning and the end of the Bible, there is evil and there is suffering. But the point to be observed is that, from the perspective of the Bible's large-scale storyline, the two are profoundly related. Evil is the primal cause of suffering. Rebellion is the root of pain. Sin is the source of death. Right? So, why is there suffering? Well, the origin of suffering is sin. In that sense, all suffering is because of sin. And you may be thinking, well, are you saying that every time we suffer it's because we've sinned? Is it because we are experiencing suffering, that there's some secret sin that we haven't repented of, or God is trying to you know, hammer us for, for some sin. No, every form of suffering isn't the result of your personal sin, of so, some personal sin that we've, we've committed. And we know that, and we can see that from the book of Job, right? So like many of the Psalms or other wisdom literature, Job is a book that talks realistically about suffering. And when we turn to chapter 1, we're introduced to this man who was, as it says in Job 1, 1 and 1, 8, he was blameless and honorable before the Lord, right? He was blameless and upright. So Job's suffering wasn't because he was, had some hidden sin or he was harboring some sin in his heart. He was actually suffering because he was blameless. He had a big family. We see that in Job 1, 2. He had great wealth. Um, He had an honorable reputation. And from an outward perspective, life was going well for Job. Now, in chapters one and two, the curtain is pulled back in heaven, and we, the readers, get to listen to the conversation between God and Satan. So turn to Job chapter one, and we're going to read verses nine through 12. Job chapter one, verses nine through 12. Job chapter 1, starting at verse 9, says, Then Satan answered the Lord and said, Does Job fear God for no reason? Have you not put a hedge around him and his house and all that he has on every side? You have blessed the works of his hands, and his possessions have increased in the land. But stretch out your hand and touch all that he has, and he will curse you to your face. And the Lord said to Satan, Behold, all that he has is in your hand. Only against him do not stretch out your hand. So Satan went out from the presence of the Lord. Now, in a few verses following this, Job loses his wealth, he loses his family, he loses his reputation, and at the end of chapter two, he loses his health. From these first two chapters, we can make three observations about suffering. All right, so what can we learn about suffering from the first couple chapters of Job? First, we can learn that suffering is real. So unlike some Eastern religions that deny the reality of suffering and pain, the Bible suggests that suffering is real. It tells us suffering is real. Because it's real, it hurts and it's a problem. So some Christians at some times, and even some churches, can sort of take a Buddhist view of suffering. We're so committed to the theology of God's goodness that we don't have a category in our theology for suffering. And we're like sort of ancient Stoics. I don't feel it, it's not real, it's not there. And we can sort of have this robotic demeanor as if we don't deal with pain and sin and suffering. But if suffering isn't a problem, then living in a world filled with suffering doesn't require faith or a longing for the place where the suffering is no more. Right. So suffering, it sharpens us. It equips us. The Lord uses that, uses it to strengthen our faith. And it gives us a deeper longing for the new heavens and new earth, the the glory to come. So Job's experience shows us that suffering is important, and suffering is real, and suffering is a problem. The second thing we notice about suffering is that God is sovereign over suffering, right? So even though Satan is the one causing Job to suffer, he had to get permission from God to do so. So God sovereignly works all things according to the counsel of his will, Ephesians 1.11, And Job didn't have to uh, have this sort of view that we have. We have scripture. We can read about what was happening behind the scenes of Job's suffering. But Job didn't have that. He was just enduring the suffering. And scripture says in Job 2.10, Shall we accept from God good and not trouble? Shall we accept from God good and not evil? Job knew that the problem he was facing was from God, right? So he had a category in his head for suffering that could say, God is still sovereign over this. And unfortunately, you hear from a lot of pulpits this idea that if somebody is suffering, it's only ever because Satan is racking them with their suffering. It's Satan's fault. He's doing it. And God is sort of dethroned. Right, Satan is given sort of omniscient power, and he's the one that's causing all the suffering, and God is powerless, God's hands are tied as Satan is just sort of doing his thing. And that's just not what you see in scripture. And that leads to this sort of wanting to attack Satan and bind Satan and fight against Satan in that way. But the Bible is clear that God is sovereign over suffering. Job recognized that, the Christian ought to recognize that from scripture. We don't attribute all power to Satan, but we recognize that God is sovereign. And so we think about suffering through the lens of scripture and through the lens of what the Bible tells us to think about concerning God's holiness, his justice, his righteousness, and his sovereignty. A third thing that we notice uh, from these uh, chapters about suffering, there is such a thing as innocent suffering. Now, Let me explain what I mean when I say innocent suffering. Innocent suffering is to say that though sin is the ultimate cause of all suffering, not all suffering happens because of some specific sin. So this is one of the main lessons that we learn from the book of Job. Job friends come to him to convince him that he needs to repent of whatever sin caused his suffering. They were thinking that surely a sovereign and good God would not allow just useless suffering and that he would not allow suffering unless Job had sinned in some big way. But we know that the real story was the opposite. Why was Job suffering? It's because he was especially righteous, the Bible says, he was upright. This was Satan's point in the first place. Through suffering, or though suffering does sometimes reflect specific sin, we shouldn't presume to know the mind of God, right? Sort of trying to figure out the puzzle. And if you think about the disciples asking Jesus about the blind man, remember John 9-2. They say to Jesus, when they see this blind man, who sinned? This man or his parents that caused him to be born blind. And Jesus says to him, neither this man nor his parents sinned, but this happened, why? So that the work of God might be displayed in his life. Right, so it wasn't some specific hidden secret sin. It was so that the work of God would be displayed. And that's the wise counsel that Job's friends didn't give him. They were like, you're suffering? You must have done something or God wouldn't be doing this. And the Bible says differently. And I should say as well, we do, there are times where we are suffering because of sin. right? There are times where we Are indulging in some sin, whether internally in our own heart or outwardly physically, and that, as our confession says, the the sense of His presence is withdrawn from us for a time. Not that God has gone or that He now hates us, but our sin does have an effect on us, and we ought to that ought to drive us back to the Lord. But just to have a category for that as well, at times there is suffering because of sin, um, personal sin, but at times it's not, right? So have a category for both. All right, so this brings us to the fourth lesson from the book of Job on suffering. Our job is not to try to crack the code of God's hidden will for why we may be suffering, but to trust him and to entrust ourselves to him. So the lessons that we've seen so far from the book of Job come from a mostly omniscient perspective. In other words, Scripture tells us after the fact what was happening with Job. But think about all this, all this from Job's point of view. He wouldn't be uh, in the light here. He would be in the dark wondering why this was happening. Why was God doing this? What was going on? Why was he going through this? At this point, Job wanted an interview with God and He says, oh, that I had one uh, to hear. Here is my signature. Let the Almighty answer me. Oh, that I had the indictment written by my adversary. Job 31, 35. In other words, Lord, tell me why this is happening. Show me, what is it? Why why am I enduring this suffering? Job himself asked, He, he wanted to know. And in chapter 38, God breaks his silence and he says to Job, these are some of the most frightening words in scripture to be. Who is it that darkness, who, who is it that darkens my counsel with words without knowledge? Brace yourself like a man. I will question you and you shall answer me. So in my head, this isn't real, but in my head, God sort of pins Job up on the wall and says, now, I got questions for you. Answer me. And it's just terrifying to me. And the Lord answers him from this storm, and he had come to God demanding that God explain himself, and God says, okay, here you go. And Job 38 into 39 and 40, there's just a litany of questions one after another for Job. And this is what the Lord says to him. Again, who is it that darkens my counsel with words without knowledge? Brace yourself like a man. I will question you and you will answer me. And in Job 38:4, he says, where were you, Job, when I laid the earth's foundations? Tell me, if you understand, what do you say to that? Where were you? Verse 12 in Job 38, he says, have you ever given orders to the morning or shown the dawn its place? Verses 22 to 23, have you entered the storehouses of the snow and seen the storehouses of hail, which, is, which I reserve for times of trouble? for the days of war and battle? Verses 31 to 32. Can you bind the beautiful Pleiades, which is a constellation? Can you loose the cords of Orion? Can you bring forth the constellations in their seasons or lead out the bear with its cub? Job 40 verse two. Will the one who contends with the almighty correct him? Let him who accuses God answer him. And then Job 40, verse 8b. Would you discredit my justice? Would you condemn me to justify yourself? God's responses to Job were clear and sharp. Job's requirement that God explain himself is, as God puts it, condemning me to justify yourself. Not only did God not explain himself to Job, he's firm in saying that he doesn't owe Job an explanation. And the Bible doesn't ever record God giving Job an explanation. God is God and Job is Job. God is to be worshiped not question in a way that would accuse him of injustice we can ask why we can say how long O lord right we see that in scripture we can do those things but there's always it's always in scripture within a framework of trust um it's not commended when it's not in a framework of trust but when it's in a framework of suspicion the lord says Where were you? But when it's in a framework of trust, it's actually commended and a good thing. We do not know the mind of God. God is omniscient. He is creator. We are creatures. And it's this God's infinite wisdom that leads even Paul to say in Romans 11, seeing this wisdom, um, oh, the depth of the riches of the wisdom and the knowledge of God, how unsearchable his judgments and his past beyond tracing out. Who has known the mind of the Lord, and who has been his counselor? It's a rhetorical question, and the answer is no one. And so Job's right response to God is not to cry, or a cry of understanding his unfathomable wisdom, but of repentance. He says in Job 42, 5 to 6, Sorry. My ears have heard of you, but now my eyes have seen you. Therefore, I despise myself and I repent and dust and ashes. And so Job's response here gives us insight to the topic of suffering. There are some things that we will not understand because God hasn't revealed them to us. Um, And parents, we experience this with our kids as well. God's response to Job wasn't a cop-out to a hard question. Our kids ask us hard questions at times, right? They get to that age where there's just a litany of questions. And sometimes you just want to say, because I said so, (laughs) stop asking me that. And then other times when we're at a more patient place, we want to walk them through it and help them understand. But that's not always the case. But God answering Job in the way he did wasn't a cop-out. It was God reminding Job of who, who he was. I'm creator, you're creature. And God's not in a place where we can put him sort of on the stand and say, you must give me an answer, right? We have to remember and have a humble disposition and remember who God is. And so um, it's upon us, it's needed, that we recognize that we worship a God who is infinitely wise, infinitely good, infinitely holy. He has knowledge that we can't uh, contain or obtain fully and what we learn from Job is that our call is not to rely on our understanding of a situation even though it may be frustrating but to trust god trust the lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding okay let's pause there and then we'll get into walking through some other places in scripture where we see suffering so any thoughts or questions up until this point Love. That's good. Again, remembering the sovereignty of God. Yeah. Yeah. Any other thoughts? I just don't know the point in regards to that, that, I,
1: that I, again, it's kind of answered by the, by the God. I'm not just have you considered, you know? Right. But also, it's kind of like the testing of God. You know, you know how, you do, how people often do Right. Realism. You know, uh you know, and it's 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 interesting that, you know, at the same time it's like I always I often wonder the parents of the pastors like, you shall not test the Lord your God. You know, mm. you know why why is it, you know, I always wonder mm. why is God saying you shall not test me about the people? You know, I always thought, mm. you know, why is it not as a specific answer? Yeah. But at the same time it's like what I was mentioning it's, 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 it's there is intentionality there.
0: yeah it is it is always for our good again we don't know the mind of god but we know what god has revealed in scripture right so we do know that it is for our good we know that god is uh, sovereign we know that god is on his throne even while we are suffering so every form of suffering that comes into the life of the christian um, only comes by the sovereign direction of god which he promises is only ever for our good Right. So those are some um, filters that we can have for the suffering that comes in so that we remember that God isn't on his throne, sort of this sovereign one with a magnifying glass, just burning up ants like a child. Right. But he is good. He is intentional and he is preparing us for the end. Communion with himself without sin, without suffering. And so under the sun, we don't have all the answers as to why he allowed this or allowed that um, for different people. You know, I have some friends where I just feel like, man, they're always in like a hard season of suffering. And I just I mourn for them. And then I have other friends where I feel like, man, they just seem to be at ease. And I can't say, well, this friend is, you know, sinning or this friend is doing well and this friend is not. I just. The Lord has determined whatever is best for them for their conformity to Christ and their own life unto uh, the end of communion with Himself. And so we, we don't have all the answers to those things, but trust in the Lord, I think, is the underlying principle that uh, can undergird our faith and make it more robust and deep. So, but it's good thought. Anything else before we move forward? So we. Yeah. How
2: so he starts
0: doubting God. Right. And, you know, he sees the wicked prospering.
2: It. But it's not until, but then in verse 17, you know, well, verse
0: 16, he says, When I thought of how to understand this, yeah. it seemed to me
2: a wearisome task. And who can understand? This? Right, right. But then verse 17, until I went into the sanctuary of God. Yeah. 2 verses 5 to 9 uh, this psalmist says that, uh, how great are your works O Lord, your thoughts are very deep the stupid man cannot know, the fool cannot understand this. that though the wicked sprout like grass and all evil doers flourish they are doomed to destruction forever, but you O
0: Written for your for for yeah. Endurance and encouragement. Yeah.
2: Right.
0: right. Amen. Amen. Yep. I agree, yep. hundred percent. Amen. Like that. That's good. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, let's uh, jump to the next area here. Um, I want to actually interact and hear from you guys a bit because I want us to think about this. In your own lives, what are some things that you think you can do? Um, how can we encourage one another in seasons of sufferings? With scripture, what are some things that you do to help uh, to, to just help your mind and heart in seasons of suffering? Um, just throw out some things that you do or that you could share with others to be of encouragement for them. Mm. And
1: there's moments when I don't know what's going on, you Yeah. Know?
2: Um, or I don't have a you know, response from the Lord or uh, you know, whatever's going on up here. Right. Um it's discouraging. So, you know, I try to sing that and it's been helpful for
0: yeah. my heart. Yeah man. Yeah. It's a great hymn. Trust and obey. Anybody else get to share? Mark
1: with scripture when you give your own testimony or um, not just being saved or when you were saved but being kept mm. um, so that you yeah. give your testimony or services then you've been in and do so with scripture because right. uh, I think we can be individual a lot um, whereas God's working with us for my good but when we share that we're also encouraging Yeah. Um so I can go through a trial and even in within a trial be like, Man, I'm I'm a horrible And there's a balance um where God tests our faith in those things, but also he reveals at the end of it that our faith was indeed small. Mm. That we can look back like, Okay, it's a refining fire. Yeah. So because of that fire you get those impurities that rise up. So now we can look back like this area I need to grow it.
0: Right. Yep. Yep. Yeah, no, that's good. That's good. Anybody else? Of course.
1: There's a great teaching
0: from D. Martin Lloyd-Jones and the teaching is when we're going through trials, we shouldn't listen to the thoughts of our own mind. Rather, we should talk
2: and preach the word of God to ourselves. We need to stop whenever we get into a situation whether it's something of concern hmm. or suffering, yeah.
0: anything difficult. And when we start using that, rather than listening to ourselves and the our thoughts in our head, we need to turn immediately to Scripture and begin talking to ourselves and saying, no, God said this, yeah. this Amen. is where it is. Now yeah. I have that, now I know what to think. Because if we don't, we're lost and we begin to have endless ramblings and hmm. concerns and it turns into a downward spiral. Yeah, well, that's good. And I think that's one of the main places where I think we overlook that we ought to pause and address. So that internal dialogue, right? So allowing the scripture to speak to us and inform our thoughts as opposed to allowing our own thoughts and perspective to, to shape how we understand suffering. Yeah. And then when you think about it, what is the where is the place where... It, Suffering happened to someone who was innocent for the display of the glory of God and the salvation of the elect. It's the cross, right? So we can look at the cross and see suffering happening, right? We can look at the cross and see Jesus dying for the sins of the elect and know that God was accomplishing salvation, right? And even scripture. There are some um, parts of scripture where it says, this was, men did this by their own evil hand, and yet God did it, right? He predestined this suffering to the end of his glory and the salvation of those who are called by his name, right? So it reminds us, again, of God's sovereignty over the most uh, gruesome uh, suffering that accomplished the glory of God in the most amazing way Because it's through that suffering that any true believer in this room sits here, regenerated, saved, justified, right? So these things point us again to the sovereignty of God. And the cross is the place where we see that most clearly and what screams most loudly, entrust yourself to God, right? So in this life, that's what we have. We have the problem of suffering. We have a call to faith. And we have evidence and strength through that faith by the Spirit. And again, that's not where the story ends, right? So, if we make one final stop in the Bible and we look at the book of Revelation again, at the end of time and the beginning of eternity, there is no more tension, there's no more suffering, there's no more pain, no more sorrow, no more tears. And in Revelation 15, 3 to 4, there's this anticipation. An expectation of the end of suffering, the glory of God, and holiness and happiness for eternity. Revelation 15, 3 to 4, it says, Great and marvelous are your deeds, Lord God Almighty. Just and true are your ways, King of the ages, who will not fear you, O Lord, and bring glory to your name. For you alone are holy. All nations will come and worship before you, for your righteous acts have been revealed. And so there's this hope that we will see fully then. Now dimly, now it's veiled, but then fully. And we will worship God for everything that happened in our individual lives. And for his preservation for the church and that 's something that the christian can can hope in, and if you notice the last uh, tense in this last phrase, it says, "All nations will come and worship before you for your righteous acts have been revealed we can 't understand why God does, does what he does all the time it 's painful, it tries the soul, it hurts um, Sometimes it seems in our head to to contradict or be contrary to God's goodness and his mercy when we go through suffering. But even those things, we have to inform them with scripture. What does the Bible tell us? What does it warn us not to think about? What does it tell us to think about concerning God and his sovereignty? And we'll see this truth as we continue to dig through this class. Again, this was more of an intro to the series, but hopefully it gets us thinking about Suffering in a way that is informed by scripture and is true to the human experience of suffering, right? So we don't want to Act like suffering isn't a problem. We don't want to be stoic. We won't we don't want to be robots We are human and we deal with suffering and sin and the best way to deal with suffering and sin is to deal with it like a human being deals with it who goes through emotional changes and mental changes But as we see those changes happening, we can insert into our reality scripture that tells us about who God is and how we should think about suffering, right? So we're not denying the truth of it, but we are telling ourselves what to think about it when it does come, okay? That's all I have for us today. Uh, Myself, Pastor Rick and Pastor Will will be teaching through this class and we're looking forward to it. I think it'll be good for us. And as I mentioned earlier, we'll follow this class up with a short series on guidance discerning the will of God. So we're looking forward to all of these things. So let me pray for us now. And also just so you know, we'll we'll do in here like we do for the morning service and dismiss table by table. And we're gonna go out the double doors here. So that's just to prevent congestion on this side as we try to uh, maintain some social distancing. So table by table through the doors here and Tim, and Mark will usher us out in that, okay? So let me pray for us. Lord, we give you thanks again for your mercy to us. We thank you that you haven't left us to ourselves, but you have given us your written word and given us the uh, ability to peer in on the experience of those who have suffered um, to be encouraged by their responses in suffering. To be encouraged by Asaph who is reminded when he enters the house of the Lord that you are sovereign and to be encouraged by the narrative in the book of Job as you are sovereign over the suffering that comes and the result of the suffering and to know that you have given us in your revealed revelation of yourself in your world how we ought to think through and think about suffering. We pray that you would uphold us and sustain us. Lord, bless us now as we go into uh, the sanctuary for our morning worship service. Um, Prepare our hearts to receive all the means of grace that you have for us through the Lord's Day and the worship of the saints together. And we pray that you would give us grace and wisdom, attentive ears, and a desirous heart for your word. In Jesus' name, amen.